All right, hear me out. What if Web3 isn't the future? Let's discuss. All right. I love Garbage Day. Uh, It is your newsletter. Devoted Thinking is Cool listeners have certainly heard me talk about your work, reference it in previous episodes over the past year or so. But for any newcomers, Ryan, would you mind introducing yourself? Just tell me who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Sure. My name is Ryan Broderick. I'm a freelance tech writer. I have a newsletter called Garbage Day, which you can find at garbageday.email. And it's basically just like a big dump of internet stuff Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, and in terms of why I do it, I suppose it's some sort of pathology or compulsion. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm trying to bring back like that feeling of like finding weird stuff online and being excited about it and not depressed. That's, that's kind of the goal. Uh, it doesn't always work, but that's, that's the hope. You mentioned that you cover a lot, that you kind of comb through a big swaths of the internet to try and find those little pieces that are really interesting, really worthwhile. It feels like sometimes your expertise is maybe like everything under the sun, if the sun is the internet. But one specific niche that you have really doubled down on that I have have noticed lately is Web3. Your high-level analysis has just been superb. Lots of really, really interesting granular kinds of details in the news that's going on, in the the cycles that are happening within this space. Um, But also, you know, it's it's certainly covered in a way that feels really honest um, and transparent in the exploration of the good, the bad, the ugly of a new technological revolution. So with that in mind, I want to start at the highest level possible. Do you believe that the future is Web3 and Web3 is the future? No, no, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So first, like, I think what's complicated here is that like, Web3 is this term that people are throwing around for a, a, a specific kind of internet product that uses a blockchain that isn't Bitcoin. That That's one, one thing that's important there. And it's, so it's the idea that like you would make a video game that involves... Uh, Ethereum or Solana and NFTs and you know you could create like a corporation on a discord server with like people in your group chat like these kinds of ideas I think actually are the future I don't know if the blockchain component like the technology itself is the question mark for me I think the behavior though is interesting like the idea of just like finding a bunch of people on the internet, going to a more private space to hang out, and then like pooling your money together to do something wacky is kind of like an old internet idea in itself. And now we just have new tools to to do the wacky stuff. Um, so that to me actually does feel pretty cool. Is that the decentralization aspect? Is that what, what feels most encouraging to you about what's going on today in Web3? Sort of. I, I think that they're, I think like the people you see on Twitter who identify as part of Web3, they've... I think correctly stated some issues with what we call web two. So like they are saying that like Facebook has too much power. Twitter is kind of a trash heap. Platforms are boring. Uh, It's not really easy to socialize on Instagram. Like people are, are, are bored of these things. I think that's all correct. The, the problem though with Web3 is like, I don't think it's that decentralized because like it all kind of requires like the same four services and the stuff that is decentralized is really insecure. And I mean, literally this morning, we're recording on Thursday, June 30th, OpenSea, the largest NFT trading platform was hacked and everyone's email addresses went somewhere. Uh, so like the, these things 
I get the urge. I guess that's kind of where I wanted to meet them in the middle. It's like, I get the urge. I just don't think that this is it, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's it's a, a problem of execution, not necessarily of, of motivation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because... The other thing is that like, so when I hear decentralization, I think like, oh, cool, like we're going to break up these platforms. We're going to go back to a world where there are standalone websites and like you can go to homestarrunner.com and watch some weird guy's creation or you can like find a, a weird video emailed to you. That's decentralization to me. BitTorrent, Kaza, like those things. When these guys say decentralization, I think they just mean like they want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. Like, I don't want more tech billionaires. I want severely less of them. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up this really interesting concept of the people who identify as part of Web3. Um, and that can become something that is is part of your personhood today, which I think is perhaps a, a podcast for another time. But the idea that there is a very specific kind of psychographic of people who are quote unquote leaders in the Web3 space is really interesting to me. And I'm, I'm just curious to hear what you think about the people behind Web3, or at least the, the version of Web3 that we see most often online today. Yeah, I did not totally grasp the different like clicks within this world until I went to uh, Bitcoin Miami, like this big Bitcoin festival in Miami earlier this year. And that's when I discovered that Bitcoin people hate Ethereum people. They think uh, Ethereum is for people who are woke with pronouns and purple hair. Um, The Ethereum people are typically younger. Apparently there's a lot of furries who like to program Ethereum, I guess. Um, And then the NFT people are like a whole different subset where like they're specifically into like that lifestyle thing like the board ape yacht club guy is like a is like a kind of guy like i would i would say like a like a hype beast but less cool maybe i mean <laughs> and then you have like the people who are really into uh nft gaming where i've interviewed a lot of them and they tend to be people who were really interested in like mobile gaming like um like pokemon go or like gotcha games like and then they they realized there was more money to be made in writing and talking about NFT gaming. So there's all these like different subsets of people who don't totally get along or even agree on the terminology that they're talking about and it can get very confusing. Yeah, I think this this to me illustrates in a lot of ways how we're still early in this cycle of understanding this new wave of technology. Um, I was talking about this interview last night with my boyfriend who is is admittedly very old school, very analog, like he plays everything on a record player, a lot of but he was trying to, to differentiate like, how is an NFT different from a piece of art that you can buy? And I was giving him all these examples that people have told me. And, um, you know, they make perfect sense if you're trying to convince somebody that Web3 is the future. But if somebody doesn't want to be convinced, then that's just not going to work for them. And to me, it brought up this idea of the fact that there is still so much convincing to do from so many people who are Web3 evangelists that they find so much of their day, I imagine, is just consumed by trying to convince people that this is technology that's worth their time, worth their money, worth their investment. And I wonder at what point we are in like the hype cycle of all of this. And um, I was thinking about the the Gartner hype cycle, and I'll flash it on the screen for anybody who's watching this on YouTube. But 
there's like the the ways that new technology enters the general zeitgeist, the mainstream. And I have to wonder that, you know, in early 2021, we were talking like NBA top shots. Everybody was trying to understand what an NFT was, that that was kind of the, the peak of inflated expectations, if you will. And things as people kept trying to convince and convince and convince, it just came across as so disingenuous that now we might kind of be in like the, the trough of disillusionment. I don't know. Do you think that's fair? Is, is that where it feels like we are right now? as somebody in your position who's been covering this, who's been talking to people, who's been trying to understand the people behind Web3? I would say like the one big issue with like the life cycle specifically for NFTs, but I guess like this is kind of true for Web3 in general, which is that typically in the history of sort of like internet adoption, you you have the the core people who create this thing and then some open source version of that thing is then played with. And like in early web two, if you look back like 15 years ago, there was just a tremendous amount of play happening. First, it was happening with people who were starting their own message boards or they were, you know, building funny when Twitter came around, they started building funny Twitter accounts, trying to figure out what they could do with an RSS feed hooked up to a Twitter account. There was like, I would say from like 2010 to like 2016, let's say there was like this attitude that like you could play with tools and make things. But the problem with Web3 is that the there's a price to enter. And so you're not getting, and there's also, unfortunately, because of like the environmental concerns, there's now like a political edge to this. So like you're not going to get the the really clever artists, the really interesting people, the 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 internet diehards, the people who've, you know, the uh, the Hank Greens, the, the, the internet people who've been around for, uh, 20 years, they're not going to touch Web3 stuff. Uh, and and I think without the play aspect, you're not getting the fun ideas that are going to like really catch on. You're not going to get the people who create the thing that like is the lightning rod that defines this because they're so interested in making money right away. And I, and, and I, I, I don't want to say that you shouldn't make money on the internet. I make money on the internet. I love making money on the internet. But you don't get that early stage of just like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what happens. So how do you incentivize that? And and I'm asking if you in this scenario are, are somebody who's trying to figure out what the future of Web3 is. How do you incentivize that kind of play without the the reward that is expected today of somebody who's like a crypto bro who wants to make a fuck ton of money? So I've tried it a few times. I... I um... I made a couple NFTs just to see if I could. I've used the uh, blockchain-based blogging platform Mirror a couple times. I tried to crowdfund on there just to see what would happen. And like people weren't super interested in straight crowdfunding via NFTs. They're more interested in like the secondary market and like a garbage day NFT is not gonna have any secondary value. Like there's no there's no world where people are like collecting that. So that kind of went out the window pretty fast. But um, more recently, Myself and a couple other like internet artists, we created this thing called the super fungible token, which you can basically right click an NFT's image, feed it into ours, and it takes that image and makes it our NFT. And anyone can mess with it. It's up there for free. You can go play with it. And it's attached to an Algorand uh, based um, NFT platform. And and the reason we did it was because we were like, NFTs don't have to be like stupid or boring or like a weird monkey picture you just stare at in a digital wallet, you can play with them. And one of the earliest things people started to do together on the internet was like mess with someone else's thing, you know, like a Reddit's our place. And so I think 
crowd work, collaborative work like that could be really interesting. But the problem is that a lot of these NFT communities, they create a Discord and they build a big community and then they lock the community inside the Discord and you get like, um, uh, you sort of lose momentum. I'm in a couple NFT Discords and they all, they all get kind of grim uh, after like the second or third month. And so I think like balancing out how much money you want to make versus creating an environment where people can do something particular, like super interesting is the, is the, the, the dilemma. And like, you know, Facebook is free to use the content on Facebook is not created by Facebook. It's created by people. And I think that's part of why it became so popular. And the web three people have not really figured out how to how to find that balance yet it's interesting to consider or or perhaps to square against one another the big brain concept of this is the future decentralization with the idea that so much of web3 right now is gated communities is you have to own something to participate you might have to engage in some sort of a transaction to participate yeah that is the issue because like if you think about your own internet diet or your own internet like activity over the last two years i'm gonna guess that you're probably in several group chats, maybe with your family that you might have started during the pandemic. Uh, I'm going to guess that you are probably in some DM groups. You might use Slack or an equivalent for work. That's pretty decentralized. That's probably more decentralized than your internet activity has been in, in 10 years. I'm speaking for myself as well here. And then at the same time, I do think one model forward for decentralization in a weird way is TikTok, where it puts you in these buckets that you're not aware you're in and it's constantly siloing you into like a very private browsing experience that is then also communal. Netflix actually operates in the same way. Its algorithm is constantly sorting you into different viewership buckets. And I think that like as we try to articulate what we want out of a decentralized internet, that is the, the the main question is like, how do you still have a communal activity, which is what we want out of the internet. We want to socialize with each other, but we don't want to have like neo-Nazis screaming at us on Twitter all day. And we don't want to have to like, you know, that, that moment where your tweet goes a little too viral and all of a sudden strangers see it and you, and it ruins your whole day and yeah. people don't want that experience anymore. Uh, and the old internet didn't have good, didn't have good mechanisms for this. Like one time I met a guy who had made a video I had downloaded on Kaza. It was like a, a music video for like Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal set to footage of Cowboy Bebop, the anime. And I met him in person. And it was like the only time I'd ever met someone who had made a thing I'd seen on the internet in person. And that's what it used to be like. Now it's not like that at all. We meet people from the internet all the time. As we move to a more decentralized environment, hopefully, we have to figure out how we can keep those connections and keep that ex excitement and keep those um, kind of moments of serendipitous internet use. It's the balancing act between the internet is so big and the internet should sometimes feel small. That's where the sweet spot is. I think for a lot of the use cases, at least from a Web2 perspective that have absolutely blown up and, and changed life as we know it, TikTok is a fantastic example. But this brings me to the use case part of this conversation, uh, because I, I do think that a lot of, you know, we can Consider the potential for mainstream enlightenment, if you will, into the Web3 tech world. A lot of it comes down to how we can actually use this technology. I have been pitched on Web3 dating shows, Web3 <laughs> rewards programs, Web3 like shipping solutions, you know, all sorts of different Web3 insert some industry here that apparently needs disrupting. But I still don't really see the mainstream applicable use cases, at least I would argue not at scale. So 
what are the use cases right now for Web3 tech that make the most sense to you? And do you do you see them being utilized in any sort of a, a scalable fashion? I do like the idea of DAOs, a decentralized autonomous organization. I think they're interesting and I don't think we've really seen what we can do all the way with them yet. So if your listeners don't know what I'm talking about, basically, I can create a token. Uh, so like I can say like uh, the, the Ryan token with a dollar sign. Uh, if you buy this token, it gives you voting rights within my internet community. And you can sell your token to other people for uh, an equivalent of Ethereum or whatever. And if you all come into my Discord, we're going to vote every month on like what we're going to do with the amount of money we raise. And we're going to go do something crazy. I love that idea because I think that like like when people get together on the internet and pool money and resources together, really fun stuff can happen. So far, nothing fun has happened with DAOs, which makes me think we're just not all the way there yet. Or they're attracting the wrong kinds of people. Or maybe if you put that structure on an internet community, it just sort of kills its vibe. I can't really figure out what the deal is, but I do think there's more there. Uh, I have heard the argument that Web3 could be really good for music. Uh, I've seen some DAO record labels, uh, but nothing particularly interesting. And I've seen uh, some NFT album releases. Uh, the problem is that like an NFT is pretty bad at like encoding larger files than an image. So like to, to put a video on an NFT, to put uh, a song on an NFT, really it, it slows it down. I've also seen some streaming platforms that do um, like Web 3E integrations. DLive is one. Unfortunately, DLive was the one that they used to stream themselves storming the Capitol. But it does pay you in crypto. So like this, this is the thing. Oh, it's like, one, right. yeah, like a lot of these, a lot of these projects are interesting on a, on a technical level. And then like you, like you meet the people who use them and you're like, oh no, 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 no. And I, I guess like the, the one thing that like Web3 I think solves really quickly, which I think is good in theory, is that if you and a bunch of people wanted to make like, let's say a band, and you didn't live together, but you wanted to like remotely release music videos, you'd probably have to like start a YouTube channel or a TikTok account and then release your music on TikTok and YouTube. And if you got big enough and popular enough, maybe you could make some money. The difference with Web3 is you wouldn't have to achieve scale to make money. You could just put your stuff out there and people could find it and pay for it. But then the, if you work that through though, then you're like, but if people don't see it or care about it, you're probably not going to make any money. So you kind of need scale anyways. So if you, so really what it does is it removes advertising. So you don't have to make like ad safe content. And then you have to think like, it, it, it's one of those things where you keep pulling the thread and it just gets like more and more confusing the more you think about it. And, and to me, there's also this idea of like, we, we have all of these core tenets of what the internet should look like and whether for better or worse, we've gotten so used to that internet should look free, um, free Facebook, free Instagram, free all of this stuff. Um, obviously, if a product is free, you are the product. We all know this to be true. But I wonder if there is a, a sort of misalignment of expectations from the mainstream of internet users who are not used to having to, to pay to access something premium. And I would say we're getting better at that. Media has certainly been a big part of that transition. But I don't know. Do you think that's going to be a, a difficult something to overcome for people? I know a lot of people who are in multiple Patreon discords. Uh, so Patreon mm -hmm. has like a really nice... I, I, I should... 
fully say I hate Patreon. <laughs> I hate using it. It's a bad website. I don't like it. But it does integrate pretty well with Discord. And I know a lot of people who are in multiple Patreon Discords, they pay for the Patreon for their favorite podcast or video maker, whatever it is on a monthly basis, and they get Discord access. That seems pretty, pretty simple. I know a lot of people who support Twitch streamers by paying them in bits or paying them in subs. Uh, and that kind of gives them access to that feeling as well. It does seem to me that like a lot of the creators we see online who are of this newer generation who are like, I'm going to be a creator and this is my job and I like this job. Those people have seemed to figure out that you can get people to pay for internet content if it gives them access to a community that aligns with stuff they care about. And I think Web3 people were smart to jump on that and be like, yeah, okay, that's our thing. We're going to make communities. Board Ape Yacht Club, I think, is the most successful NFT line because it's a, a community. The issue is that, like, the services that people are using to pay for these things are not easy to use. I don't know if you've ever bought anything with Ethereum, but you have to, like, calculate the gas fees to transfer the Ethereum. And it's like the, the wallet is slow. You can send it to the wrong address and it just disappears into the, the ether. Uh, it's just like it's a it's a complicated process. And I. I one time tried to explain what a blockchain was to my mom because she was interested because Tom Brady had an NFT. I grew up in the Boston area. And I like on a napkin in like a Chinese food restaurant tried to draw out like what an NFT is and what a blockchain is. And she was like, stop. I don't care. Just get it. I don't care. I was like, yeah, I, I tried. <laughs> like, It's yeah. just really complicated. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly complicated. And my, I guess my concern, um, and I, I should say I have no skin in the game. So I say concern just as a general internet user is that people become so uh, exhausted by trying to figure out complicated topics that don't make a ton of sense or might not naturally come to them, uh, that it just doesn't take off in the way that a lot of Web3 people expect it to. But I would argue that even some of the Web3 evangelists don't really know the direction that Web3 should be heading in. Um, lately, there have been some pretty remarkable examples of very famous Web3 people not being able to describe what Web3 actually is. Um, <clears throat> Mark Andreessen. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. you know, like that, that to me should be a red flag. Like we should, we should stop and understand that maybe, maybe there needs to be some sort of an educational effort. And I know that there is from a lot of really smart, really genuine, really kind people, some of whom I've even had on this show already. But to me, that's one of the big risks, this information gap that is just too big to overcome. I want to talk about what the other risks might be, um, and specifically about a piece you recently wrote regarding uh, political leviathans and the oh, rise yeah. of, I think, like what we could fairly call the Web3 pack. Uh, tell me a little bit about about what you wrote regarding these leviathans in Garbage Day. I, I found it really interesting. I'll link it in the description. But if you could just give the, the high level. Yeah, I was kind of keeping my eye on this because, as I said, I, I think of all of the ideas that have been floated from this corner of the Internet, DAOs are the most interesting. And so I saw a couple of these uh, kind of bigger NFT influencers talking about the idea of a DAO super PAC or a DAO pack, a political action committee. And so the idea would be that you would create a DAO the way you would anything else. So you'd make your dollar sign Ryan token. People would buy into the token. They would get voting rights in the Discord. And then the Discord would lay out a political objective rather than a corporate one. So you could basically say, like, we want to raise... A million dollars. In fact, okay. So Choice DAO is is a is a decent example of this. It's a 
uh, a DAO that was created by some like pretty big names in Silicon Valley uh, after the repeal of Roe versus Wade, and they want to raise a million dollars for uh, ab- abortion uh, protection and and sort of to to give to pro-choice organizations. The white paper is super vague. <laughs> like I don't really know what they want to do, but they plan to cut it up into two hundred fifty thousand dollars chunks and give it out to different organizations. I don't. I I read through the whole thing. I was like, there's no there's nothing concrete here, but. It's an interesting idea, and it and it makes me think they have a little more leg to them than like a corporation trying to buy a screenplay for Dune, for example, or like buy a private island. I think like people can wrap their heads around ideology better than they can uh, something you know uh, some sort of project. The problem is that like a lot of crypto donations are actually happening already and like alex jones the the infowars host is a fantastic example of this he has what uh, the southern uh southern poverty law center calls a bitcoin fairy who's been giving jones like millions of dollars in bitcoin to fight legal battles so like the 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 big issue with um donating crypto is that it is anonymous to a point you can you can pretty much track every single crypto transaction that happens on a blockchain to the point where it, it doesn't connect to someone's name. So like uh, but you can you can usually reverse engineer it. That's how people kind of figured out that uh, Justin Bieber probably wasn't buying his own NFTs um, or, or almost any celebrity. I would go to say, but like there are issues with that, but I do think it's an interesting idea and I think it has uh, the possibility to be more successful than, you know, a wacky project. Yeah, it, it does to me, though, add this very specific layer of complexity to an industry that is already notoriously complex. You think about dark money funds and the actual money that's used to to win and lose elections. Um, it's really difficult to track that to imagine all of that becoming more anonymous uh, is, I think, a little concerning. Um, It certainly makes more sense from where I sit today on the floor of my bedroom to think about the idea of like a choice DAO, right? This is going to accomplish some sort of political end. That makes more sense to me than let's create a DAO to buy a copy of the Constitution. I think it's a little bit more tangible for people, even though it's not a physical object. But I wonder, you know, if if it can be used to accomplish something that I believe in, like being pro-choice, that, that makes sense to me. It's something that is part of who I am. It can also be used to accomplish the things that I don't believe in. <laughs> you mentioned that the the people who stormed the Capitol on the day of the insurrection were also using some pretty impressive Web3 technology. Like, whatever, we always have to keep that in mind, I think, when we're considering a new piece of tech. It can, you know, it's the, the, the age-old example. Fire can be used to cook your food, and fire can also be used to arson you know like that that is just the nature of technology yeah it's something i'm actually pretty passionate about like i i have a podcast called the content minds and and my co-host he's a british guy and he's he's very lefty very socialist and and he always makes this joke where he's like if it wasn't for all the neo-nazis like bitcoin would be perfect for running a commune uh like cryptocurrency is perfect for communists actually uh and and i've so far only found really one outspoken leftist who is pretty open to the idea of crypto technology which is evan greer she's a trans musician from the boston area i highly recommend following her she's a big um section 230 activist and she and i have spoken about like some utility for that but other than her, I really haven't come across anyone on the left or even like even center left who is open to like looking at what this technology can do. And like, obviously, if you have 
ethical problems with it, if you have environmental concerns, like that's fine. I, I, I get it. But I do think that like this like general attitude of just like, well, it's all bad and we should just like not pay attention to it. And it's all just dumb monkey pictures. And it's like, yeah, but what if it does catch on? And then there's just like no left response to this. There's no progressive response to this. It's just monkey traders. And like, like, I, yeah. I, I think we have to start understanding how it works just on a on, on like what a crypto wallet is. How does it work? How does it connect to another one? How do you trace one crypto wallet to another? Like all of these things I think are pretty basic and people need to start figuring it out or they're just going to be left behind in a certain certain extent. Which would be in perfect keeping with progressive politics in America today, right? Big on ideas, right now, small yeah. on action. Um, yeah. And I think that this is a great segue to consider the kinds of groups and uh, people who are in power in the Web3 space, how those might differ from previous iterations of the web. I know that a, a criticism of Web3 that I've seen leveled numerous times is that it's not being built to be more inclusive, regardless of the political part of the conversation when we're talking about women, when we're talking about marginalized communities, that there just aren't enough people uh, who aren't, quite frankly, rich white dudes uh, who are building in Web3. I'm curious what you think about that. So, okay, so kind of going back to like the different cliques, the different subgroups, like you have the Bitcoin maximalists who are there. I find them terrifying. I think they're just like, I, I think a lot of them are like, honestly, like <laughs> I think some of them are legitimately actors working for the, the Russian state at this point. I think they are like some real creepy libertarian guys who want to like live like feudal lords in like a Boga Raton, like, you know, condominium. Uh, they're just, they're really scary guys. And they, they hate uh, cancel culture. And they're just like the, the Joe Rogan kind of guys. They're, they're just very annoying. Uh, so let's put them to one side. Then you have like, you have a lot of young kids who are getting into the tech industry and they're learning how to code on Ethereum or Solana. And they're making like uh, very aesthetically pleasing kind of like, mid 2000s uh like myspace looking projects um and they seem to be very interested in like going to different tech conferences together and smoking weed and they're all like very fun and i follow a bunch of them on twitter and they seem like nice people then you have like these like um these like lean in like neoliberal like feminist ladies who are making like rap songs about like ethereum tokens like the randy zuckerberg types who are just i mean i, I just <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around it. I I guess like if they're going to make money, they're really excited about it. But I just find it whole, very ghoulish. Um, then you have like the uh, the real weird, like the real, real weird, uh, like crypto artist scene, like in downtown Manhattan, the kind of like the uh, the like people who aren't interested in making money, but they're interested in like doing like weird subversive performance art stuff. Uh, I kind of group uh, the the NFT artist who blew up a toilet. Do you know about him? He fractionalized a toilet, Shlomo. No. Uh, what? He, he's worth following. He he blew up a toilet and then he converted the toilet shards into NFTs and then sold them. I we I, I keep in touch with him. He's pretty interesting. And I think that like there's an a very very fringe kind of like crypto art scene that's kind of interesting. And then you just have like the guys who are like. Anderson Horowitz guys who are just like this is the internet now we're gonna just we're gonna redo the internet on the blockchain and they just believe that that's what's gonna happen and and then at the very very top of that you have Mark Zuckerberg who's like I'm gonna use crypto to power my virtual reality hell world that you're gonna live inside for all of eternity 
Uh, that that's kind of the landscape as I see it right now. Oh God, I can't wait. <laughs> she yeah. says, um, "No, I, but I think that this is it's a, a useful grouping because to me, I find myself." It, Operating within the space that I operate, there are, quite frankly, a specific kind of, of people who uh, I tend to come across most frequently. Um, and it's it's useful to recognize that that is not the extent of Web3. That is not the extent of anything. <laughs> Twitter is not the real world and vice versa. And I think that's an important lesson as we kind of dissect all of this and we're you know kind of wrapping up this conversation is that like, Yes, this is endlessly interesting. Yes, this could be a big part of our future as internet users. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot to be figured out. And there are still so many people who are not interested in figuring this out. Um, and that is just going to, to be a function, I think, of time, of the efforts of education and information from people who are already deep in this space. But I am curious, what do you think this looks like when, you know, if we were to, to sit down and watch this interview five years from now, what do you think the Web3 space looks like? So the big question is like, can the blockchain accomplish anything that the block that you can do without blockchain? And so far, nothing can really like no one has come up with something that the blockchain can do that you can't do without it other than transfer money without banking institutions. OK, but let's say let's say like let's say they create this big infrastructure and it's like kind of interesting and then uh, the market keeps crashing and crashing and people just kind of lose interest in using it to gamble. The thing that I keep coming back to, and I wrote about this in Garbage Day, which is like comparing it to other internet protocols. So like RSS used to be the thing that we would read the news on. You'd put it into your Google Reader and you'd read updates from your blogs that you followed. And then people stopped using RSS and people forgot about it. And your podcast comes out via RSS. All podcasts come out via RSS. It is the essentially the thing that runs a massive media industry now. And no one ever talks about it. They're like, that's what it is. So I think that like in many ways, we could end up with like spending a whole lot of time and energy to create a thing on the internet that like people don't ever think about it again, but it just goes and becomes some other weird thing. Like we discover that like, oh, the blockchain is actually perfect for um, managing like the digital rights around like uh, land deeds or something. Actually, it would be great for land deeds. Um, it's like, oh yeah, we can put all of our real estate uh, on, on the blockchain. Great, all done. And then we never think about it again. I think that's one possibility. The other possibility is the thing that I've heard floated from people at the Anderson Horowitz level, the sort of like Texio level. And the Texios I've spoken to are saying that like the word around Silicon Valley right now is that Web3 will go bust bad and people will lose a lot of money. And a lot of the companies that are investing in it right now are not investing in it for right now. They're investing in the ability to buy up all of the assets from all of the bankrupt Web3 companies and use them, which is exactly what happened at the end of the 90s during the dot-com bubble burst. So all of these websites went up, they all, they all disappeared, and then all of these companies came in and bought all their stuff, and that was what created the boom that created Facebook and Twitter and all the rest. So they're actually planning for a bust. The problem, and well, there's many problems with that, but one of the most unethical parts of that is that like Web3 also involves consumer investors. So there's a chance that like it takes down the whole market with it, and then we just get a bunch of big whales at the end. So that's one way to think about it as well. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I think that that is is certainly an interesting 
potential and very plausible future. I do have one last question that that made me think about. What happens to Web 2 if Web 3 goes away? And this was another thing that my like Luddite boyfriend asked. Like, does does Facebook disappear if we have Web 3? Like, what happens to the web as we know it today? It's interesting that your boyfriend asked that because he listens to records still. You know, like technology never that's really a, goes away. That's a great point. Yeah. It just we, we just find a new kind of use case for it. So like, uh, OK, so right now, like Web 1 would be like, I don't know, like your town's like municipal website. Right. It would be like a website that just has like information on it. And I think that like there's so much of the Internet right now that's Web 2 driven even like boring stuff, like uh, like wiki, like a wiki, you know, or like basic things like uh, like like the like Reddit is like massive, you know. I sort of think that like a lot of those things will just stay, and they'll kind of atrophy and they'll kind of get smaller, but they'll kind of just keep going, and then whatever the new thing is on top of that will just sort of like sit on top of it and start replacing those things. But those older things probably won't all go away i think many of them will but not all makes sense i get that Hmm. yeah he he joked that he was a a web one user like that is how he prefers to use the internet he doesn't have facebook he has instagram but he doesn't use it you know like he just i want to study this man how is he using the internet is web one that's impossible he's he is very interesting all he does is like look at uh recipes online which i guess if people are contributing in some sort of a like open capacity that's a little web too but um, he is a very like rudimentary internet user. It's very interesting to be his very online girlfriend. Um, but this has, I think, Ryan given me about 4,000 ideas for <laughs> other podcast episodes to make. So I really appreciate cool. you taking the time to walk me through all of this. Um, again, I am a huge fan of your work and I will link everything in uh, the show notes in the description on YouTube. But Ryan, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. Uh, I'm, I'm a little frightened and very excited about the future so yeah 